I've got some uh, a little note-taking sheet for you if you'd like to use that, or you can just take in freehand. Uh, if you did not get one, we've got some uh, some more being printed up right now. Should be back uh, probably within 15 minutes before I finish. Uh, so uh, that's a, that's always a good sign. Uh, But uh, what we're talking today uh, about today, and we're going to be, I'm going to be with you for three weeks. Um, the uh, next week, I have a prior commitment uh, that I'll be in, uh, engaged in, so I will not be here. But this class will meet, and Mark Straczynski will be presenting uh, something um, that, that is within this same topic the same framework and so uh, you will you will be getting a full shot okay you'll you'll be getting you'll be getting all of your hours and none of your credits will be deducted <laughs> so that's always a good word amen amen, amen. Uh, our topic is Christians understanding Islam that's what we are and that's what we are we are seeking to do um, what are we doing with this class and what are, what are my objectives in teaching it? Well, we want to do a couple of things. Well, we are learning basic things a Christian should know about the religion of Islam in order to, first of all, to obey the commandment of God to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've got a lot of neighbors moving in who are adherents to the religion of Islam. Not to mention the fact that we are living in a rapidly shrinking world of a growing population of Muslims. If we are going to obey the commandment of God to love our neighbor as ourselves, we've got to know our neighbor. Otherwise, if we do not know our neighbor, the good and the bad, if we do not know our neighbor, we will find ourselves judging our neighbor, shunning our neighbor, uh, abusing our neighbor, exercising prejudices toward our neighbor, and not necessarily intentionally, but simply out of ignorance for who they really are and what they really believe. And if what you know about Islam has come over social media, let's just delete all of that right now. Truly. And if what you know about Islam has come to you over talk uh, television and talk radio, let's just erase that right now. If what you know about Islam has come to you mediated through the news media, let's just delete that for the time being. Not because it's all wrong, but because you really don't have a measuring stick for knowing what's correct and what's incorrect about it. And you've got to have some way in order to determine something, some kind of a rubric. Now, I'm not an authority on Islam, and I'm not going to present myself as that. That's not my field of study. I've, I've done doctoral work, but my studies have been in the field of Christian theology. Ask me about Christian theology, I'll be able to give you a ready answer. Ask me about Islam, ask me a question about what we're doing here. As a matter of fact, I would like you to, as we're going along, if you've got questions that are raised by what we're saying, or questions that already are in your mind that you would like to see answered, I would like you to give, write those questions down and give them to me. And if it's in within the purview of what we're talking about and what we can get to and within the time limits, I would like to address those questions. But I may not be able to address them readily right off if just impromptu asking them. Uh, I am not an authority on Islam. Uh, some have taught this class before here in previous years who are authority in that. I'm not. I'm not trying to present myself, but I'm knowledgeable about it. I first began studying Islam, one of the most, probably the most forward-looking class that I ever took in college was a class on Islamic civilization. And uh, our professor, who was a native of Lebanon, uh, a Christian native of Lebanon, but uh, he, uh, he had the kind of a sense of humor he put on the board. The two were Islamic civilization and then Icelandic civilization. They had to mark out Icelandic. We are not going to be talking about Icelandic civilization. We're going to be talking about Islamic civilization. And everybody was just sitting there going, what? That was his, I thought it was, I thought it was hilarious. But you're sitting there thinking, what? 
we're learning basic things a Christian should know about the religion of Islam in order, first of all, to, love, to obey the commandment of God, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And secondly, in order to fulfill the commission of our Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim good news to every person, including Muslims. One of the impressions that we have um, have been given, and sometimes have been given that by Muslims, and that is that Muslims are unreachable with the gospel. You can't win a Muslim to the gospel. Just, no, Muslims have not committed the unpardonable sin by, being, by growing up, being educated, and being committed to Islam. Jesus Christ can save a Muslim. If you look at it, the whole project of salvation is impossible for any of us. Would you be persuaded of the gospel of Jesus Christ were it not for the grace of God and the Holy Spirit working in your life? No, you wouldn't. It goes against, it cuts against everything that you are in your life because you are a sinner in rebellion against God, but God's grace has reached out to you. And God's grace has reached out to you through someone else who gave you the Word of God. And so we are being obedient to the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let us not write off our Muslim neighbors in this world because they appear to be extremely closed. We're going to have, I will be with you for these three sessions. On June 7th, we're going to, which is today, our major topic is going to be the gospel according to Muhammad, with a question mark. Muhammad has a gospel? Well, Muslims think so. I'm not sure that, well, we'll just see. Uh, two weeks from today, I'll be back with you talking about the origins and the foundation of Islam. Where does Islam come from? How did they get this stuff? Where, where did, how did Muhammad come, around, come about with all of this? How did it spread so fast? What's, and, and in the process of that, we'll be learning something also about the, the Muslim mindset and what Islam is about. And finally, on June 28th, we'll, we'll do a little work in decoding the Quran and talk about the mysteries of the, uh, of the Quran and what's in that. And uh, it, we'll just get to it when we get to it. And um, before we go any further, though, let's just stop right here and looking out toward what we, are, what we want to do with this time. And then let's commit ourselves to God so that he can do what he wants to do with this time. Can we do that? Our Heavenly Father, I give you thanks that we can call you Father. Because as we're going to see, the Muslim cannot do that. But you have given us permission to call you. You have given us the authority to become the children of God to as many as believe on your name. What a great honor and what a great privilege that is. And I pray that we will be seeing our privilege and the power of the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we look and consider this morning what Muslims believe and worship. Help us to see the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ even more. Even as we have sung a confession of your faith this morning, I pray that we will go out rejoicing in that confession as we study that which others confess. Help us to get these things straight, Lord, and use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing we want to do is get our terms straight. There are, uh, one of the things that you may pick up from social media, news media, common understanding, just uh, various things, and that is slinging terms around that only have a vague idea of what they mean. And we're not going to go into any depth with this. I just want to make sure we're getting our terms straight. First of all, Islam. And that is the monotheistic religion of Muhammad. That's what we mean by the word Islam. We're going to be talking about what that religion specifies, some of the things that religion specifies today. But that's just what we mean by Islam. The term Islamic is an adjective pertaining to the religion of Islam. 
All right? A, a person who believes in Islam is not an Islamic. He is a Muslim. Or she is a Muslim. <clears throat> that is an adherent to the religion of Islam. Okay? Let's make sure we get those, the terms straight. Um, Islamic is an adjective. Muslim is always a noun. Okay? There is not such a thing as Muslim headgear. Because that means a person is a hat. And that's not what, you know, that's... Muslim is always a noun and refers to a person. We'll see a little bit more specifically why and what that means. Islamist is a term. It's a term that has uh, come very much into vogue since September 11, 2001. But it is a political term, not a religious one. And it denotes the goal to reorder government and society to conform to the religion and laws of Islam. It may or may not be militant. An Islamist may or may not consider himself to be at war with the West. And then we have Muhammad. Preferred spelling currently is, as we have there, Muhammad, but you will also see it spelled Muhammad in that fashion, and that is also correct, but the preferred spelling... Uh, that you will see is the one that I have in the, in the bold there. He is the prophet of Allah. And Allah is the Arabic name for God. The Quran, also spelled with those variant ways. The, uh, we're going to use the spelling in the bold for, the, uh, for our course. Why the difference, why the variations in the spelling? Well, the reason is because the Arabic alphabet does not have necessarily specific absolute renditions in the English alphabet. There is, for example, in the Arabic alphabet, as there is in the Hebrew alphabet, a, uh, a letter which gives the hard K sound and the soft K sound depending on its context. K or ch. There is also the hard, uh, a letter that gives the hard K sound all the time and that's best rendered by our letter Q. Uh, but these are acceptable, all acceptable. Alright, the following are obsolete terms. Mohammedanism. You will see that in, uh, in some literature, some very good in scholarly literature. But that basically is a term that began to be phased out by the 1960s, even in scholarly literature. Mohammedanism, it really is more of a 19th century term than uh, anything else. Muhammad, that is an obsolete spelling of Muhammad. We're not going to be using that, but in some of the things that you read, you may come across that. Uh, Muslim uh, is a very obsolete term, uh, but you will see that in uh, uh, some writings from the 18th, 17th century talking about uh, Islam. The Muslim, or the, or the term Muslim, that is one that uh, began to be phased out again in the 1960s, 1970s, uh, also obsolete term for Muslim. Now, our topic today, our, our specific topic is the gospel according to Muhammad. Uh, how should we answer that? Here is, I guess, our lead question. If you were, a, uh, if you were to ask a Muslim how to be saved, what would he tell you? This is how, I'm, this is how I've approached the preparation today. If you were to ask a Muslim... How, what must I do to be saved? What is the gospel that he would preach to you? What would he tell you? This is where using this in order to find out, in other words, what does salvation mean to a Muslim? We use the term salvation, but do, does a Muslim mean the same thing as a Christian mean when we mean salvation? 
There are some things that are similar, but there are some other things that are different. What might they be? And uh, another thing, and this is something I'm just throwing out to you as a thought question. I want this to be in your mind. I'm not necessarily going to explicitly answer this uh, last question in, uh, in my lecture today. I just want this to be in your mind. I want you to think about it, and really think about it through this whole four-week series that we're doing on Islam. And that is, how do we, as Christians, approach Islam? Is it a development beyond Christian doctrine? Is it a, uh, and therefore, you know, adding something to it, or even uh, twisting it? Is it a pale reflection of it? Or is it a perversion of Christian doctrine? Or does it have nothing whatsoever to do with Christian doctrine, whatever? despite the fact that there are references in Islam to Jesus. Sources for Islamic doctrines, also called by Muslims the Islamic Trilogy. First of all, and foremost of all, is the Quran, which is the, quite literally the Word of God. One of the, and we'll talk about this more in our final session, but to the Muslim, okay, to the Christian, when we say the Word of God, what does it mean? When, when we say that the Bible is the Word of God, what, is the, what do we mean by that? Hmm? Okay, the Holy Spirit inspired the authors of that book. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is personally the Word of God. And that, all of the scripture is derivative of the fact that, thank you Steve, of, of the fact that Jesus is the Word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. And the scriptures are a manifestation and a testimony to that. But what we do not mean when we speak of the, of the Bible being the word of God, we do not believe, most of us, that God dictated word for word everything that goes into this book and that therefore every word of the Bible is quite literally the word of God. But that is what the Muslim believes about the Quran. The Quran is the word of God. The Quran is the closest thing to God that you can get in this world. And that is why if people burn Bibles out of spite for Christianity, we get upset and we're grieved. But when you burn a Quran, the Muslim is ready to go to war. Because it is an absolute, utter blasphemy to mistreat the book, let alone to, and by the way, the Quran cannot be translated. It can be interpreted. If you read an English translation of the Quran, understand the Muslim does not believe that that is a translation. The Muslim will call that an interpretation. But if you want to read the Quran, you have to learn Arabic. Because it cannot be translated. Because it is God's words. So that's the major source, but it's not the only... Yes? I expect you use a lot more. We'll talk... Understand. But... Uh, We'll speak to that issue in just a moment. Hadith is uh, a multi-volume multi -volume collection of sayings of Muhammad and the stories about him. That is also a source of the, of the doctrines of Islam. The Quran does not, is not exhaustive of the things that Muslims believe. It is, uh, the Hadith is a huge resource for them. It is not it is virtually as authoritative as the Quran but it is not the word. But it is authoritative to them. It's what Muhammad said, his stories about him and it's about four times longer than the Quran and it's in several volumes. And then the Sirah which is, a biography, which is the biography of Muhammad which is really a composite biography of Muhammad. That also is authoritative 
about the doctrines of Islam. This is where the, this is where these doctrines come from. All right. Now, what are the basic doctrines of Islam? First is that God is one. And when the now Christians also believe that God is one, and Jews also believe that God is one. But each one of these three monotheistic religions, supposedly all rooted in the monotheism of Abraham, have a different concept of that oneness from the other two faiths. The strictest one in terms of what it believes that about the oneness of God is that of Islam. The oneness of God is an absolutely singular oneness. Muhammad's, Muhammad grew up in <coughs> polytheistic Arabia. And it was idolatrous, it was polytheistic, many gods, multiple gods. Muhammad rebelled against that concept. He was for a while, he really wanted for a while to, uh, well, I'm, I'm not going to, I'll tell you what, I'm going to save that for when my talk on, uh, uh, in two weeks from now on the history of, I'm just pointing out, there's a reason for this, the singularity of, uh, of God. When, when Muhammad thought of the, of the oneness of God, he could not think past the singularity of it. The doctrine of the Trinity was absolutely abhorrent to him. He considered the doctrine of the Trinity to represent three gods. It didn't help that the Orthodox Christianity that was in his neighborhood appeared to look tritheistic and almost as idolatrous as that of the Arab tribes that he grew up around. But we'll get there. But that is, the, that is the preeminent doctrine that there is no God but Allah. And by that, there is absolutely no God but Allah. And Allah is very, very singular. Angels exist between God and you. That doesn't mean that Allah is alone as a spirit being. Angels exist between God and humanity, a hierarchy ranging from archangels such as Gabriel to the lowest level genie. Usually bad. The word genie is derived from the Arabic word jinn, which may be good, usually bad. They're bad. Basically, we would re relate to those as being demons. Prophets have been sent by God to instruct and warn mankind. And Muhammad is the seal of the prophets. He is the last and greatest of the prophets. The, according to one tradition, there are something like 175,000 prophets that God has sent into the world. Some of them you know. The big guys are Moses, David, Jesus, but greatest of all, Muhammad. <coughs> then there are the holy books. God has given the Torah through Moses, the Psalms through David, the Gospel through Jesus, and the Quran through Muhammad. But only the Quran is uncorrupted. All of the other holy books have been corrupted. The Torah of Moses has been corrupted. The Psalms of David have been corrupted. The, gospel of, the Gospels of Jesus Christ have been corrupted. Only the Quran remains pure, unadulterated, uncorrupted, the absolute truth, the absolute word of God. And there's going to be a judgment day. And that judgment day is going to be a resurrection from the dead, a bodily resurrection from the dead. And at the resurrection, all will be judged by their works and rewarded or punished accordingly. Who records the works? Every person has two angels. One recording the good and one recording the bad. 
They're going to bring the record of your works to bear on judgment day. And your works will be shown and exposed. And if your works, if your good works stack up higher than your bad ones, you will be rewarded. And if your bad ones stack up higher than your good ones, sorry about that. Let's compare some of the basic doctrines of ours to the doctrines of Islam. Doctrine of God, we believe that God is a complex and diverse unity, one in essence, but three in person. Now, how did we get that? How did we derive that? First of all, revealed that way from the beginning. The Hebrew word for God is Elohim. The singular, it, that Elohim is actually a plural word. It means God. But it is a plural word. El is the singular for God in Hebrew. It is related to the Arabic word. Allah, which is the singular word for a God in Arabic. Allah, in Arabic polytheistic Arabic mythology, was the first and original and creator God. And so when Muhammad spoke of God, and there being one God, he referred back. In that language and the mythology that fed into that language, he found, he got the word Allah, and the singularity of Allah comes from that understanding. It is like the Hebrew word El. El, Al, Allah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is the confession of faith of every Jew. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Elohim. Adonai Echad. Echad. One. But Echad is not the word one that means singular. Echad is the word one that means unified. It is a unity that can include plurality. It's not explicit. The Trinity is not explicit in the revelation of the Old Testament, but it is implicit. But where did we get the concept of three persons and one God? We got it through the revelation of Jesus Christ and through the coming of His Holy Spirit. And as the church began to see and to experience and to know and to have brought forth the revelation of God in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit... This is where the doctrine of the Trinity developed. It is not a doctrine that developed, was developed by intellectuals. It is a doctrine that has developed and terminologies have developed to explain that which cannot be explained. <coughs> but it's a very different concept in Islam. Muhammad didn't understand it. He didn't get it. Like a lot of people don't get it today. talk about humanity for a moment. Move on. Humanity. Humanity by nature sinful in Christian doctrine. That is historic Christian doctrine. We do have we do have versions of Christianity today that say, well, people are just basically wonderful. No. You and I know that we're sinners. We've always been. There was never a time when we weren't. We all have a selfish bent to our nature. We are all in sin and our entire planet is in rebellion against God. So we are by nature sinful and must be redeemed from that. But in Islam, humanity is by nature good. Weak, maybe, but good. 
Allah has put His nature into all of us. And we all have immediately a spiritual connection with Allah. And therefore you need to just start living up to it. Just, just, just do right. That's all you have to do. Just start. But Paul said, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Let's talk about sin. In Christianity, sin is rooted in rebellion against God, and it causes spiritual death. And atonement is necessary to restore a relationship to God. I'm not going into great detail into all of this. I'm just refreshing our memory. In Islam, however, sin is a... uh, Very, just much more practical. Sin means it's rejecting right guidance and doing wrong. It may be forgiven through repentance. There's no atonement that's necessary. Sin, it's almost like sin is not an offense to the holiness of God. It's an annoyance to the honor of God. So in one way, uh, Islam has a much more optimistic view of human nature. And a much, but here's the thing, it's a much reduced concept of sin. Now, as you're looking at this, as you're you're thinking of the comparison of this, I want you to be thinking, remember, we're looking toward this for two things. One is to love our neighbors as ourselves and understand this is where they're coming from. But also to understand this is what they, this is what they're thinking about. Now, we know, okay, let me ask you. Do you think that the Muslim doctrine of sin really covers the territory? You look at sin at work in your own life and you tell me, does the Islamic doctrine of sin really explain the struggle that we experience and our alienation from God? If the gospel of Jesus Christ is correct. The Muslim doctrine of sin can't be because Jesus had to die on a cross in order to destroy the power of sin and death over us. But that in itself is an offense to the Muslim. Salvation according, and we're going to see that in a moment, salvation according to Christianity is the free gift of God based upon His grace and Christ's atoning work. Received through faith, not earned or deserved. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Islam, salvation, by, in salvation, the standard isn't the holiness of God. And the standard is whether your good deeds outweigh the bad. Grace, the Muslim will use the grace of God. The Muslim will, will speak of being in the grace of God. I have, I have been, uh, been helped by the grace of God. I've been, but when the Muslim speaks of the grace of God, the Muslim is speaking of grace of God. God approves you. God thinks you're doing all right. And if God's thinking, you, if God thinks you're doing all right, makes you kind of feel good about yourself, doesn't it? Makes you, gives you something you can boast about, doesn't it? To the Muslim, the grace of God is something about which you can boast. To the Christian, the grace of God is to disqualify all human boasting. Do you see the difference? Now the question is, which one answers to the problems and the needs and the hunger of the soul. I'll say amen to that. According to Christianity, Jesus is the one and only Son of God. There's much more we could say, but if you understand what we're talking about, that covers it, folks. According to Islam, Jesus 
is a major prophet born of a virgin. Yeah, work of miracles, yes, but call him God's son, that is blasphemy. That is absolutely blasphemy. So also is speaking of the death of Jesus on the cross to us. That is, that is the most blessed thing to us. Oh, the cross. We are so grateful to God for the cross. Because on the, on the cross, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave purchased our salvation. And that is the heart of the gospel. But to the Muslim, the death of Jesus on the cross never happened. That would have been an affront and an insult to God that his, his great prophet Jesus would die on a cross? No, no way, absolutely. It never happened. According to the Quran, the, the death, Jesus did not die on the cross. Jesus was taken up into heaven and Judas died on the cross in his place. I saw this past week, I was looking, Dr. William Lane Craig. How many of you know who Dr. Craig is? Uh, uh, Christian philosopher and apologist, uh, fantastic speaker. Uh, look, he's worth looking into. He was answering a question. Somebody asked him about uh, this issue about the death of Jesus on the cross. That it, you know, according to the Muslim Jesus, according to Islam, Jesus does, did not die on the cross. And Dr. Craig said, uh, was talking about that. Said he he was debating uh, a Muslim scholar. Um, and uh, they talked about this point, in the and he said that, uh, isn't this remarkable that, in, that Islam disputes the one, thing about Je- the one thing about Jesus that even the skeptics of Jesus, Robert Funk, who established the Jesus Seminar, which basically disqualified from their point of view, everything that the Gospels say about Jesus. said, so, well, one thing that we can agree on that is that Jesus died on a cross. He was, Jesus was crucified. That, that we know. That we can agree on. And, and yet this is the, you know, I mean, one fa- absolutely verifiable historical fact that is testified in multiple sources, both in the Bible and outside of the Bible. And the Muslim disputes that because the Quran says it never happened. Well, this Muslim scholar said, well, I'm willing to actually say that Jesus was hung on a cross, but that he didn't die there. He, he subscribed to the swoon theory that Jesus was taken down before he died and then was taken up into heaven after that. And said, well, you know, it, it, isn't that interesting, Dr. Craig responded, which if that's true, then that means that the Quran contains a lie. What happens when, Je- when the death of Jesus is taken out? When the death of Jesus is taken away from the gospel, there is no gospel. There is no gospel. What well, one word epitomizes what I must do to be saved? Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What mu- There's one word that epitomizes for the Christian what you must do to be saved, and that is to believe. There is one word that epitomizes to the Muslim what he must do to be saved, and that is the word submit. The word Islam means submission. Say, wait a minute, I thought Islam meant peace. It's related to the word for peace. Linguistically, it's related to the word for peace. Which is Salah. But the kind of peace that is in reference by, that is referenced by the word of Islam is the peace of surrender. Don't hurt me anymore. That's the kind of peace that's being referred to there. It, is, it literally means submission. The Muslim knows it. 
The news media of our day apparently don't. You don't hear this in discussions, in public discussions of Islam. But that is what, that's what Islam is. Now, is there an aspect of submission in the gospel? Absolutely there is. Is there an aspect of surrender in the gospel? Yes. But the surrender is that which comes, which we give to God willingly out of faith in Him. The key word there is not submission, it's faith, it's to believe. But for the Muslim, submission doesn't come out of faith, faith comes out of submission. It's the opposite. The word Muslim means one who submits. Islam, submission. Muslim, one who submits. Here is a quote from the Quran, Surah 9, verse 112. They who turn to Allah, who serve Him, who praise Him, who fast, who bow down, who prostrate themselves, who enjoin what is good and forbid what is evil, and who keep the limits of Allah, and give good news to the believers, that's who is blessed. It is a works religion. This is a, from a passage uh, describing Islam. The fundamentals of the faith as set forth in the Quran are not many in number and within the mental reach of all. The simple believer is not asked to agree, but rather to submit and thereby to become a Muslim. You see the older use of the word, or submitter. His one obligation is to say with many a character in the Thousand and One Arabian Nights, I hear and obey. That is the essence of the Muslim gospel. That is the essence of the gospel according to Muhammad. That is the essence of Islam. To hear and to obey. To submit. So what, to what must one submit? Three things. Iman, which is right doctrine. Ibadat, which speaks of religious duty and isan, which is right conduct. <clears throat> Can you see the appeal of Islam? It's simple, it's straightforward, it appeals to your better nature. And it has optimist, an optimistic attitude toward your nature. You can do this. It's very simple. Just do right. Which, there's an element of that in Christianity. The five pillars of Islam are the following. The Shahada. That is the confession. La ilaha illallah, Muhammadun Rasulullah. There is no God but Allah. That singular, one, absolutely only God. There is no God but Allah. And Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. And then the Salat, of the prayers. Prayers, now, Muslim doctrine of prayer is not like communion with God. It is more like a formal liturgy of worship, even though it may be carried out individually. They are formal recitations, confessions, Therefore, and they are uh, to be done at rising, at noon, in the afternoon at the end of work, at sunset, and at bedtime. Five times a day, you pray. So, you make the confession, the shahada, there is no God but Allah. 
And Muhammad is the prophet of God. You pray five times a day. You observe the Ramadan fast. We are coming upon the season of Ramadan. We are coming into the month of Ramadan. It change, You say, why does it change every year? Because uh, it is on a lunar calendar. And the month of Ramadan shifts variously, uh, various parts. But basically, it takes place this time of year. We are coming up, I think, in a week or two on the beginning of the month of Ramadan. And your Muslim friends will be probably not in a great mood during the day. Because, they, because for the next 30 days, 28 days, they are going to be fasting during the daylight hours. During the daylight hours. After the sun goes down, bring me some pizza. While it's daylight, no food. So the zakat, the giving of alms to the poor. This isn't like tithing. This is this is if you took the income tax and made it a religious duty. This is the zakat. You you do this. You give the alms to the you the giving of alms. It's a it's a very formal thing. And then there's the Hajj, which is the pilgrimage to Mecca at least in, at least one time in your life if you are materially able. If you have the health and you uh, have the financial means to do so, you are required to make that pilgrimage. You must go to Mecca. Which kind of complicates things for the city of Mecca as the popular, the world population of Muslims grows. And, of course, it complicates your life if you happen to be a Muslim living on the opposite end of the world from Mecca. But if you absolutely have the financial means and the health to do so, that is required. You will not get into heaven if you, do, if you miss that. <coughs> Okay, there is no God but Allah. Let's talk about Allah. What is his name? What is his nature? What is his character? There is a lot, and appreciate you bringing it up, I, I was, because I was going to bring up this issue. There's, and it is a real question. How do we as Christians relate to Allah? Because we're, we're going to see that Allah is not the same conception of God as ours not merely having to do with the Trinity. But there's a much deeper difference between the conception of God for the Muslim as for the Christian. I'm going to approach it not from the point of view at this point that, as some do, that Allah is a demon. Although I'm not going to eliminate that as being one of the things that, one of the ways that we can approach it from a prayer warfare standpoint. But I'm looking at it from the point of view of the Muslim. All right? Because that is what we're seeking to do. Understand how does the Muslim approach these things as opposed to, as opposed to how we approach it as Christians looking from the outside in. Because they look at us as being blasphemers because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So let's see if we can find some rapprochement here. But in order to do this, we're going to have to understand what they mean when they talk about, when they speak of God. There are, according to Muslim tradition, 99 names or epithets of Allah that describe His character. Now, if you actually go through the Quran and the Hadith and all of that in order to come up, you're going to find, actually find more than 99 names. There's really not any agreement as to which 99 names comprise the 99 names of Allah. Uh, when you, you know, different uh, school, different Islamic study schools come up with different lists, but 
they basically revolve around the same kinds of things. Uh, they keep coming back around. Uh, they describe his character. He is the all-compassionate, the all-merciful, the all-wise, the all-knowing, the judge, the truth. Twice in the Quran, he is called the loving. So don't say that Allah doesn't love. He does. But as you, st- as you read, as you study, as you put together, as you look at the Quran, as you look at the Hadith, as you look at, 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 the, at the Sirah, you, you see that the love of Allah for mankind is conditional. There is no thing in the Quran or in any of the sources of Islam that say that God so loved the world. There's nothing like that. God loves the righteous. What does the Bible say? For while we were yet sinners, in this was manifested the love of God toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There are in the Bible four substantive statements about the nature of God. One of them is in the book of Exodus. I am that I am. The others, the other three, are all in the writings of John. By substantive statements, I mean statements in which the name of God is followed by God is, and what follows is a noun that is not merely a descriptive, but is an appositive that renames God. God is spirit said Jesus to the woman at the well, John chapter 4. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 1 John chapter 1. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Not meaning that God literally is light in a material sense, but in that spiritual sense. And all that light represents. Holiness. Truth. Righteousness. God is light. And twice. God is love. When I was a primary. And in Sunday school. Remember primaries? Remember beginners? Remember going back? I remember... We had a little chant. I open up my Bible book and read. God is... Say it. That concept is alien to Islam. It's not that God doesn't love. God has has affections which He gives to those who submit to Him. But... God as love is from Torah Andre book Muhammad the man and his faith the thought that God has revealed his nature once and for all time as righteous, as righteous and saving love is alien to Islam why? well God is loving but to say God is love that that implies that God is needy and Allah has no needs Is that what we think of love? Is that how we think of of love and the love of God? Do you see the connection? Do you see why sometimes your conversation with the Muslim doesn't go very far? Because there's a different mindset. There's a different understanding. Okay, very quickly, what is the right conduct? What is in Isan? Obey the laws of society. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit fraud, perjury, or slander, you know. Keep peace with your neighbor. Do that. Practice moral virtues pleasing to Allah, such as charity, honoring parents, truthfulness, perseverance, courage, humility, selflessness, faithfulness, chastity, sincerity, peaceableness, thankfulness, so forth. And abstain from immorality, piety, and impurities. That includes abstaining from alcohol, pork, gambling, (coughs) usury, idolatry 
great scholar on Islam, H.A.R. Gibb. Islam is distinguished from Christianity not so much by its repudiation of the Trinitarian concept of the unity of God. That's where we often, that's where we want to go. We, you know, we want to argue the Trinity. We want to, do, you know, put this forth as being, you know, the big, you know, this, this is the big wall. This is the big hindrance. This is the, this is the, no, that's, that's secondary, actually. The real difference is by its rejection of the soteriology, the doctrine of salvation of Christian doctrine. And thus setting man, as it were, face to face with God without any mediating spiritual or personal elements. Now let's go back to that doctrine of sin. If sin, why isn't sin that serious? Yeah, but why isn't sin that serious to a Muslim? From what you've seen. Because you just have to do more good than bad, and if that outweighs it, you're, you're, you're good to go. That's right. It doesn't well, require atonement. It doesn't require atonement. So what does that say about the nature of Allah, the God that the Muslim worships? Then he allows it. Yeah, he's tolerant. That's right. To a little, you know, as long as it's not happens. that big a deal. You do enough of it, you fail, you flunk, you go to hell. And hell is just pretty unpleasant in Islamic doctrine. But, if you make the grade, you're in. Sure, come on in. And heaven is a feast. It's like the whole world, the whole your whole life has been Ramadan, but now come into heaven and it's evening and we can feast. In other words, as high as he thinks that his concept of God is the Allah in Islam is not the holy, righteous God of the Bible. He is not the holy and righteous one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the holy and righteous one of Moses, the holy Lord of hosts of David. He is not the holy God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, the Muslim does not take the holiness of God as seriously as the Bible does. I'm not saying this to you to point this out as a point of argument. And let, let me just point out to you, when you're witnessing to a Muslim, never get into an argument with a Muslim because a Muslim cannot lose. It's a matter of honor. Never, don't get an argument with anybody over, over Jesus Christ. But particularly, if you want to win a Muslim to Christ, don't get in an argument with him. But knowing this, you can understand then why his doctrine of sin is weaker than yours and why he doesn't think he needs a Savior. And so what, you need, what we need to do is prayerfully and through the Holy Spirit help our Muslim friends understand the seriousness of sin and our need of a Savior. Okay. So in theory, uh, Christians, it's not that we don't... Well, let me try to, quickly. If, if, if the Muslim just thinks that uh, the good has got to outweigh the bad, and, and they don't know, just like we don't know, when, when they're going to die, in theory... Wouldn't they all? Uh, wouldn't there be less uh, anxiety with the Muslims if, if that's truly what they believe? Because well, I'll tell you what. They they're, they're just as afraid of hell as the Christian. I mean, and here's the deal: you do all of this, you obey every one of the five pillars, you follow them. The best, of, the best you can. 
you do it all, will you be saved? Don't know. Because it's still up to a lot. There is no assurance of salvation. And you're always in jeopardy. There is no security. There is no gr the grace. You may feel grace, but you know how in your own time, just as a believer in Jesus Christ, there are sometimes you feel close to God, and some other times you don't necessarily. Yes. If you know yourself there you go. That, that helps you understand the concept for those who are militant, who believe that if they destroy their own lives and the lives of infidels in the name of Allah, then they will be welcomed into heaven without conditions. Fast ticket, fast track. That helps you to understand that mindset. Is it perverse? Yes. It is perverse even to ordinary Muslims. But you can understand where it comes from, from within that doctrine and that mindset. Now, folks, let me ask you, you know, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, I'm not going to ask for a question. Let me ask you a question and see what kind of answers we get. With this, how would you use, how might you use this information that we've got today? First of all, how many of you understand Islam a, a little bit better now than you did before you came in? How would you use this understanding to witness to the Muslim that you know? Well, that God has a love for him and that he wants a relationship with him. Yeah. Wants a relationship. Jesus wants a relationship to the fullest extent. I mean, he loves us so much, but he wants a one-on-one -on -one relationship with his people. Yes. Here's the, this is the signal difference, and this is the difference between the concept of salvation between the, the Muslim and the Christian. If you understand what your salvation is, Jesus said, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they might know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It is to know God. To know, to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. To know Him. To know Him, to, have, to be at one spirit with Him. To have received His spirit into our lives. To be in fellowship with God and to know God. That is not salvation according to a Muslim. According to a Muslim, salvation is... You don't go to heaven, you go to or you don't go to hell, you go to heaven where there's feasting, not hell where there's torment. Which, by the way, happens to be the concept of salvation that too many Christians have. So I want to challenge us today, before you do anything, get to know your own Savior. Make sure that you know your Savior before you start trying vigorously to introduce someone else to it. Yes? Uh, something I noticed about the Quran, too, yeah. is they put Judas as something else, but in, 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 according to this, Judas betrayed Jesus. Yes. And he fell down in the first door. According to theirs, he didn't. That's right. When we're talking sin... We're talking original sin also because that's what he came also to break, the power of original sin. And I think, well, how can we present that? Because that may be the key for them. Okay, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. You try to, to do the right life, you try to do this, but it doesn't work. You have a hard time with it. So how do you present original sin in a way that they can understand so that they don't can... Try. Don't try. Don't try. Don't try. But... We'll, we'll talk, you know, as we go along, we'll talk about strategies. I want to begin to start thinking about this, but it's good to start thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Judaism seems to be a whole lot more a list of things you should do mm -hmm. than Christianity. So can you draw a contrast between the tenets of Judaism as it's understood today and Islam? I'll do more of that 
in the in the next session that I that I do talking about the history and the, and the development uh, of Islam. Um, there is a both of them deal, however, as you as you pointed out, in works righteousness. It's it, it's a matter of works righteousness. I think that the difference is not so much in theology as it is in a mindset. Um, in Judaism, the heart is involved. In Islam, the heart doesn't need to be involved at all. Just submit. In Judaism, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's a goal. That's the objective. That's the commandment. In Islam, the Muslim is never commanded to love God. He's commanded to submit. Thank you for coming. I hope this has been beneficial to you, and I hope to see you again.